Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. It's Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. Welcome to the Highlights Podcast. An interesting conversation on the program today about Premier Rachel Notley and a couple of fundraising controversies she's found herself in. And then to prove that we are fearless broadcasters, Two men entered a conversation about breastfeeding and whether or not the benefits of breastfeeding are overstated and how moms should feel about the decision to or not to breastfeed, et cetera, et cetera. It was a really fascinating conversation. Uh, you can listen to the program weekday mornings, 930 to 1230 on Newstalk 770 and at Newstalk770.com. I'm Roger. That's Rob. Um, if we were yes. a tag team wrestling outfit, we would probably be less like, uh, more like the Rockers, less like Demolition. Is that fair? <laughs> the Rockers, yeah, they were pretty good. Marty Jannetty and Shawn Michaels. Yeah. Uh, let's get back into this situation. Oh, with, now I'm, uh, I'm distracted. I'm just reminiscing about old 80s uh, tag teams. All right. Well, for those, yeah. we should run this uh, a parallel show here. Uh, we're going to talk about Rachel Notley and this BS that she got herself wrapped up in by going to Toronto to go to this uh, $10,000 a plate uh, dinner to benefit the Ontario NDP, known opponents of the Energy East Pipeline. But if you want to text us 770-770, your thoughts on that or your favorite 80s tag team and uh, their finishing move. Uh, did they have move? I guess they did. That was a weird thing with tag teams. This matches would just end. I don't know that they had finishing moves, right? But. <laughs> Do you want to hear some of? You're really distracting. Me. Do you want to hear some of the the the, the clips from uh, our premier Rachel Notley? Right. Well, she and and we had this live yesterday during Danielle Smith's show. Rachel Notley holding a news conference to announce the the by election in Calgary Greenway. But of course, there were a lot of questions. I mean, certainly there were questions about the you know the money that's coming from Ottawa, but a lot of questions about hey, what's up with all these weird fundraisers? All the money, of course, raised from that goes to uh, Ms. Horvath and the Ontario NDP. Uh, I'm not exactly sh- I did not evaluate who was there, and I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. I, I suspect there were people based in Ontario but have interests across the country. Okay. In the future, would you mind evaluating who's there? I just think a couple of questions you might want to ask when you're attending a $10,000 a plate dinner are, what's it for and who's going to be there? Well, you know, the thing is, though, and, and this is something people need to realize about the NDP, and, and you know, it was an issue for them in, in the federal election campaign because, of course, Rachel Notley was supporting Tom Mulcair. It's the same party. It's the same party. They're all tied together, the provincial and, and federal NDP. So, essentially, the, the Alberta NDP and the Ontario NDP are basically the same party. Right? They're all linked together. Um, so there, there's no getting around that. Now, Rachel Notley can make it clear, if she wants, that, okay, yeah, technically we're the same party, but, look, we're a party here in Alberta that's going to champion the Energy East Pipeline. Uh, those people in Ontario don't, won't. So we're not we're not friends anymore. <laughs> friends off. <laughs> right. Uh, but she hasn't. She hasn't called them out. She hasn't even pointed to this. She's going out of her way to fly to Toronto. And that was the only reason why she went to help them raise some money, to not, help improve their political prospects in, in Ontario. I don't know, but the, the award thing, we haven't completely disproven that, have we? 
that she didn't, in fact, receive an award while she was out there? I'm under the understanding there was there was no award. Well, okay, listen. Don't let the absence of an award or an award ceremony be the thing. Look at her great track record of things that she should be awarded for. <laughs> right. Um, um, that's kind of like graduating from kindergarten. I'd put that on the... Anyway. So, anyway, Justin uh, Giovanetti, who writes for the Globe and Mail, uh, mentioned that originally there was... Um, a trip to Toronto. It was a personal trip. She was there picking up an award. Uh, turns out now there wasn't an award. So uh, someone from the Wildrose last night asked Notley's spokesperson, why deceive the media? There was nothing untoward about this fundraiser. Uh, so her chief spokesperson said the comment was made in passing about a Toronto award. She hadn't been presented yet. I admitted I didn't know why she was going. Then, then Justin from the Globe and Mail chimed back and he said, wait a second, you were speaking with three gallery members and you were pretty clear that it was personal travel to get an award. So it wasn't. She was going there for this fundraiser. And again, it's a valid question if there's nothing wrong with this fundraiser. right? I mean, the party paid for wasn't a taxpayer-funded uh, junket to Toronto. There was nothing untoward about it. Why make up a cover story? Doesn't make sense. Um, let's move on. This is... Uh some more of Rachel Notley explaining why it was A-OK for her to be at this uh, $10,000 a plate fundraiser for the Ontario NDP, where uh, a lot of corporate interests were present. The way I looked at it was, is there some way that I was getting some benefit out of it? And there really was not. OK, but if you don't put yourself at the middle of everything and you think to yourself, hey, is there some way that these corporate entities are purchasing access to myself or a politician in my uh, I was going to call it Splinter Party, but really the same party, the Ontario NDP. Are those people getting a benefit? Uh, then that's another reason why you shouldn't go. So to have 10 companies, basically, or 20 companies, I think the list was, put up 10 grand each um, in order to get access to uh, the to a government head, a premier of Alberta, that clearly should be something that flies into the face of your ethical uh, perspective on corporate government relations right and again so it's nothing illegal here but it's it certainly flies in the face of what she's talked about the whole reason why they ban corporate donations in the first place so to say that that should be out of politics that should be illegal corporations shouldn't be able to to buy access to leaders to then go to a fundraiser where corporations are doing exactly that shilling out 10 grand to buy facetime with the Premier of Alberta and the would-be Premier of Ontario, that just flies in the face of what you said needed to change. So that's the issue here. It's not necessarily whether she broke the law or broke the rules. It's that she's gone against the, the very spirit of, of what they're claiming to do here. My trip uh, was certainly uh, uh, tested with the Ethics Commissioner to ensure that uh, we were within the rules. So that's what we did. Okay. Have to take your word for that, but your word's not worth a whole lot these days. These events are um, pretty common across all um, political parties, and I believe very strongly that what uh, that my attendance there was absolutely in accordance uh, with the election laws and the conflict of interest laws here in Alberta. Okay, so again, as Rob uh, stipulated uh, just a moment ago, it, we're really not talking about you know what side of the law you were on here or what side of some sort of uh, uh, you know code of ethics that's written into the Alberta legislature. Like, we're not talking about that. You basically came onto the scene and said, we've got to end the link between corporations and unions and government. That's why there's a, a law in place about the amount of money these people can now donate. So um, 
don't say, hey, you know, this has uh, been going on for a long time or, or this is a very natural part about the, the party process. Be the difference and actually just start to try really hard to exemplify the leadership that this province has been missing for a long time. I, I, it's, it's, it's increasingly clear that the NDP don't really have a clue how to handle the situation in, uh, as far as the economy goes, but at least that's beyond their control. If you guys could try and make it look like you can handle the stuff that's within your control, that would make a lot of us feel better. Right, 974-8255. Now, it's interesting that this comes just on, on the cusp of a, of a by-election in Calgary. March 22nd is when that's going to happen. And so I wonder how much this is weighing on the minds of Albertans, or, or more specifically people who might vote in that by-election. Because people are worried about the price of oil. People are worried about, you know, what Joe Cece is going to say later today, the, the quarterly update. People are worried about whether they're going to have a job or the fact that maybe they don't have a job or their family members or neighbors or friends don't have jobs. With all of that going on, does this kind of stuff resonate with people? Is this inside baseball? Do you care about these fundraisers and these, you know, gray areas about the rules? Or do you care more about whether or not people have jobs, Right. I wonder how much this this matters to people. You know, I'll say this, and and I know the the question's rhetorical, but if if I were to answer it, um, a that would be annoying. But b I I don't think they need to look at this stuff. I, I really look at the Greenway election. It's going to be uh, excuse me by election. It's going to be a referendum on on how the province is doing right now, and it's only gotten worse since the NDP have been in power. That could be coincidental. Um, it doesn't matter what your perspective is. I just don't see people rushing to the ballot box to say things are great with the Orange Party. I'm going to send another candidate up to Edmonton. Now, having said that, I don't think you need to be such a, an inside politics watcher to to want to feel that way. Those people are probably voting more on newspaper headlines, more on what their retirement fund is doing, and less on whether or not the premier is gallivanting about uh, Ontario uh, scoring ten thousand dollar donations for her buddy Andrea. Yeah. Before we go to the phones, can I mention quickly some breaking news that has mm-hmm. nothing to do with any of this? Uh, but this is going to be a big issue. The federal court has just struck down the federal medical marijuana rules, the rules that prevent patients from growing their own marijuana. The court has now said that those rules are unconstitutional. The government has six months to, to fix the rules. But the court ruling that uh, it is unconstitutional to prevent patients from growing their own medicinal marijuana. Can you, Very te- interesting. Yeah. Can you text us 77770? Let us know how much weed you can grow in six months, because it might be a bonanza <laughs> underway. Say so. Hi, Brooke. Thanks for the phone call. Hi. Uh, I'm not going to defend the NDP by any stretch, but I just want to point out the fact for 44 years, the PCs fundraised through my tax dollars by every municipality, every school board, every hospital board that received tax dollars, used those tax dollars to buy tables at PC fundraising events. Yeah, we know. We agree with you. And, and we thought that, that was all supposed to end when we changed the guard. That's what I thought, too. Yeah. So you, it's just more of the same old, same old. Hey, Brooke, what, what, what's old is new again? Pretty much. And, the, and I guess the more we talk about it, the more maybe it'll get straightened out. Yeah. We'll see, Brooke. Appreciate the phone call. You know, and I mean, one of the, the big ones goes back to 2007. Now, this was shortly after Ed Stelmack had become premier and he had a leadership uh, debt to pay off. Um, so they had organized a $5,000 a ticket that was kind of a meet and greet with Ed Stelmack. And that became a huge controversy, enough so that Ed Stelmack, who again had promised to, to, to do things differently and to be more honest and transparent, uh, you know, integrity, sincerity, that was all part of his, his campaign. 
it was hugely embarrassing for him, and they eventually uh, canceled those events. But it was something that the NDP were, were all over. Uh, Brian Mason was leader at the time. Uh, he went right to the ethics commissioner and said they need to investigate that. Mason said, I expect a higher standard than that. This is a real blind spot on the part of the conservatives' leadership candidates and the party and government around this whole question of transparency and fundraising for political purposes. So, yeah, I mean, Brooke is right that this has been going on in Alberta for a long time, but it's equally true then that the NDP have been criticizing this for a long time. And Brian Mason may not be the leader anymore, but he's there. He's there in the room. He's been around a long time. There are people who are new to this and don't quite understand what's what's what. Brian Mason should be able to explain it to them. All right, nine seven four eight two five five. We'll take a few more phone calls here uh, before a break. Hi, Ivan. Thanks for the call. Yes, uh, I just wanted to. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Thanks. Uh, I just wanted to point out here. You know, we've heard very, very little from Mulcair since the federal election, and uh, you guys brought it up there um, about it being one party, uh, federal and provincial. And I've always felt that um, the uh, federal uh, uh, NDP um, has absolute. Uh, and I'm going to say 100% control over Alberta's uh, NDP government and Notley because two things. I don't think that she has the wherewithal and um, uh, or experience or maybe even intelligence to uh, to put all these bills into effect and all this legislation and to um, and to knock down the uh, Alberta Alberta oil and and uh, gas pipelines. Um, without the help or the uh, the guidance from the uh, federal federal NDP, and uh, with Mulcair's, uh, um, uh I guess absence, you know, his silence is uh, def- uh, what is it profoundly deafening. Well, yeah, you're also talking about uh, yeah, the okay, leader but, uh, of the third party who might be out of a job soon, and I, I won't tolerate yeah. you impugning uh, Rachel Notley's intelligence on this program. She's not an uh, a not she's not an unintelligent lady. <clears throat> But anyway, go on. Okay, but here's here's my point, though, Ivan. If to, to suggest that they 100% control the, the provincial NDP, uh, I mean, that's that's just simply not the case. I mean, you look at the fact that Rachel Notley has come out in support of Energy East and did so even before the, the federal election last year. Tom Mulcair was on the fence about it. I still don't know if Tom Mulcair supports it. I mean, if Tom Mulcair was controlling Rachel Notley, then he'd either tell her to oppose the pipeline or tell her to shut up about it. So I don't know how committed Rachel Notley is to Energy East, given what we've already talked about here today. Um, but she's gone public and, and announced her support for it, announced that this is good for the country, announced that it should should happen. That's unhelpful to Tom Mulcair because Tom Mulcair was worried about you know, being seen as supporting Energy East. So, again, if that were true, then... Well, then why would Notley be uh, allowed to say that? Yeah, and why else would she be allowed to cozy up and be cooperative with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau? That that absolutely uh, uh, submarines anything that Thomas Mulcair is trying to do on the left in Ottawa right now. So uh, we should take a break, Rob. And when we do, we can come back and, and get to the rest of these phone calls. Nine seven four eight two five five. You're listening to Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk seven seventy. Welcome back, King Kate and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. Time of this this fundraising controversy the Premier has found herself in. I mean, look, the NDP have really become a, a fundraising machine. Being in, in power certainly helps that. They've got a by-election to fight here. I think they, they want to do well in this by-election. I mean, the polls show that they're, they're sinking. The Premier's approval rating is down. If they can go in and, and win a, a PC seat in, in Calgary, that would be a, a great way of saying, hey, you know, Albertans support what we're doing. We've got people behind us. And if you want to win that by-election, you you got to spend money. So the NDP is certainly trying to raise money. 
right? And having Rachel Notley as the star of the show uh, helps that. And so if they feel like we can cut a few corners here and there, it's old hat, it's been done many times in Alberta by 2019, nobody's going to care, nobody's going to remember, I, I think they're trying to get away from, you know, they're, they're trying to get away with it. Yeah, and uh, so far unable to do so. Unable to get away with it. Let's get back to the phones, Rob. Uh, a lot of people have a lot to say about this. Nine seven four eight two five five. Hi, Peter. How are you? Uh, uh, hi, guys. You know, it's it's uh, not surprising at all. You know, NDPs won because the right vote was was split. So they actually an incidental, you know, government. And being politicians, you know, the cats get into the larder. And uh, they have no access to all this, uh, you know, fundraising and uh, other funds and so forth. So the cats do what the cats do, you know, whether it's a pol- this black politician or white politician or black cat or white cat, doesn't really matter. It's all the question of labels. All right. Interesting perspective, Peter. And I don't think there's too many people who disagree with you. Well, I don't know why he brought race into it. Was he suggesting that Ben Carson would do what uh, Donald Trump does or? I, I, I don't know. I, I, I was, it was weird. I'm kidding. Um, but I think there's a lot of people that, who feel that way that, you know, it's kind of, it doesn't matter who's in charge. They're, you know, the cats get in the larder. They're going to take advantage. Um, you know, and, and while that's cynical, I don't think it's necessarily a helpful part uh, of the dialogue. Well, and I mean, you know, we saw that federally. It was certain things that federal conservatives did. And, and a lot of people said, hey, hang on a second here. You know, the liberals did the same thing. Well, okay. But wasn't the point that they shouldn't have and we elected a new government to not do that. And I think, you know, the, it's the same here. Yeah. You can't just excuse a crime because it's been committed before. Uh, this is Ryan. Hi, Ryan. How are you? Hi, I'm doing well, thanks. Mm-hmm. I just have a, kind of a two-part question. I'm trying to figure out, uh, like, how, how does it work as far as transparency goes with regard to the uh, companies buying these um expensive dinner tickets, like, or, or, or is it public knowledge? Would I know, would I be able to find out who purchased them? And, and uh, also, are there, are there tax implications as far as, like, do they get uh, uh, money back, uh, you know, because of the fact that they, you know, purchased this $10,000 ticket? Is it, is it a bit of a write-off, or how does that work? Do you guys know? Well, I don't, I don't know the exact rules in Ontario, but if you buy a 10000 if you buy a ticket for a $10,000 plate event, you're essentially making a $10,000 donation to that party. Okay. And, you know, like in Alberta, those those donations are public. Uh, Elections Alberta publishes a, a list of, of donations uh, they get made to political parties. So if, if someone were donating $10,000 to a political party, there'd be a way to know that. So I, okay, I don't know yeah. how it works in Ontario. If there, there's uh, a list that gets published at some point where you would see who's, who's, you know, I don't know that it would have a date attached to it. Uh, you might yeah. see that a corporation donated $10,000 to the Ontario NDP. I don't know that you'd be able to say, and it was for that specific event. Okay. Yeah, it would just be easy to probably draw some more conclusions as to who's purchasing these and, and for what reason. I mean, if it's me, I'm not spending $10,000 on anything unless I know I'm getting something in return. Um, and, and if it was for, you know, just a donation, whether it was to, like, you know, um, uh, you know, a, a cancer society or like, uh, you know, a, a cause that it's just you're donating for the, the goodwill of donating, not to get something in return, which it sounds 100 percent sure. I'm sure that these companies or, or people are looking to get something out of this meeting with the premier. 
Yeah, they want their message to be heard. Look, you're right. You, and look, when you give money to the Cancer Foundation or whatever, you are doing it because you want something in return. In that case, you want a cure for cancer. Or you want to support people right. who are dealing with cancer, that's right? Yeah. yeah, so if I pay 10000 bucks to go see the premier speak, I'm hoping that there's going to be a moment where she goes, I don't know, what do you guys think? And then I can speak my mind, which is what yeah. I get. So, you know, do I get $10,000 worth? No, not really. And I don't know how you'd quantify that. I mean, the yeah. idea behind a donation to a, uh, to, to a political party is if you get something in, or the, the idea behind a donation is if you get something tangible in return, it's not really a write-off. It's just a transaction. It's a purchase. But in these cases, okay. the dinner's not worth ten grand unless you got to drink a bottle of, you know, forty-seven Cheval Blanc and a gigantic truffle alongside it. But that's neither here nor there. Yeah, I mean, no, that's, yeah, that's no. how I feel. I feel the same way. Okay, right. Ron, I appreciate the call. I, my issue, and that's why I supported what Rachel Notley did when she banned corporate donations, is is corporations in in this context, you know, they don't have political opinions. If you want to donate ten thousand dollars or fifty thousand dollars to a political party because it's your money, and you like what they're doing, you want them to win, you don't want those other guys to win, you should be able to do that. You should be able to write that check, and uh, there should be disclosure. It should be transparent, but that's that should be the extent of it. Um, but again, I mean, Rachel Nally has, has put those limits in place and, and done so ostensibly for a reason. But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, some people make big donations, hope they're going to get something from it. Others just feel, look, I got money, I've got opinions, and I want to see political parties succeed that, that share those beliefs. Uh, hi, Don. Thanks for the call. Oh, uh, yeah, I understand that they're still looking into it, because didn't she talk to uh, the ethics commissioner when she went out? And, you know, the PCs have always had a huge war chest, and no one ever asked about that. You know, I go back to Gary Moore, and he sold off all those tickets to Hong Kong, made lots of money. Well, they remember they they um, there was that fundraising event that Gary Marr held because he had those campaign debts uh, that ended up getting canceled. Remember, um, Allison Redford actually suspended him for a time as the uh, as the rep to Asia. But I'm interested in the information that they get because you know all of a sudden we look into the former justice minister. Ms. Redford, and she gives the contract to her former husband. Right. So, Don, I want to stop yeah. you in your tracks, though, Don, well, just because we're short on time here. But what's the point? Because I think that we've covered this ground. You're picking on really small points. We've no, we're not. We're picking on a current. We're picking on the current premier of Alberta who has decided to violate her own code of ethics that she set out. She's basically gone and does done these things that are untoward after she campaigned on this idea that this sort of thing has to stop. We can drag all the skeletons out of the closet. No one is going to dispute the fact that this went on with the PC government for years and years and years. But that's not an excuse for the current government to do it. If you're calling in to say, because it happened before, we should excuse it today, I think that's a particularly sad perspective for an Albertan to have. Well, she's a lawyer. She got an opinion. Let's see what happens with this investigation. I have a feeling it's going to all be for naught, and you guys will be talking hot air. But prove me wrong. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. Well, that, no, that's not the point, though. I don't care no, what the I, ethics I think commissioner says about this. I don't have a hired nanny up in Edmonton to wag a finger at misbehaving politicians. I'm a voter. That's my franchise. This is wrong. I think it's corrupt. I'm going to say so. Yeah, I, I think we were pretty clear that this is, is beyond what the rules might say. And we're in that, that murky territory where maybe it's strictly within the letter of the law. I, I haven't alleged at any point here today that Rachel Notley has violated the ethics rules. My issue here is what Rachel Notley has, has criticized in the past, what the NDP has criticized in the past, what they did when becoming government, 
and then to go against all of that. It's, it's the hypocrisy of it all uh, and the opportunism of it all. Yeah, it is up to the ethics commissioner to, to decide whether or not any of this uh, violates the, the ethics rules. And, you know, maybe the rules are too loose in the first place, and, and maybe that's part of the problem. But, no, I, I don't think it all hinges on that. Certainly not. All right. Um, anyway, I, I guess the reason why uh, the, the Notley NDP had that uh, that plan to end the corporate donations was so that the PCs couldn't, you know, regain their footing should they ever lose an election. And, well, look at the situation as it is. Will the uh, the PCs be able to reclaim Greenway in this by-election? Do you think that it'll go to the NDP, or do you think that uh, uh, the Wild Rose will take yet another uh, uh, seat away from the progressive conservatives in the by-election that's coming next month? Um, that's it for this half hour. When we come back, we're going to uh, check in with Toronto, the situation that happened at a high school there yesterday where a teenage student went on a stabbing rampage. And parents in the media, in fact, were able to get information from inside the school while it was on lockdown via cell phone. This is Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. All right, welcome back. I'm Rob. That's Roger. We're going to talk about bullying after 12 o'clock. Today is Pink Shirt Day, which is an anti-bullying campaign, but isn't an effective anti-bullying campaign. We'll explore that after 12 o'clock. Um, conversation right now, though, about breastfeeding. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting because we get these stories that come up from time to time where, you know, a woman was asked to leave a store or something along those lines because, you know, a restaurant because she was breastfeeding in public. And, you know, the response is, look, we need to support these women because this is incredibly important. And maybe that's the, the issue here. Certainly it's important and certainly women who, who choose to breastfeed should be supported. We, we shouldn't be offended by the sight of a woman breastfeeding. But are the benefits of breastfeeding being overstated? Okay, I'm going to write that down so that I don't stray too far, because I think that's the central question. Are the benefits of breastfeeding being overstated? I just want to pitch my two cents in here, though. Do you remember the story about, like, the the uh, breastfeeding bar? It was like a – I forget what they called it. They had some kitschy name about it. It was like a, a place in an airport where women could go to breastfeed, but not like a designated area, like a smoking area, but rather almost like a stage that they would go to. Look, it's beautiful nursing moms nursing publicly together. And I thought to myself, why does it have to be a stage, though? Why can't, like, you know, like, why do we have to make it a demonstration? So I think that there's a lot of moms who are caught in between being shamed into breastfeeding and shamed out of breastfeeding. And it's like, why can't it just be normal? Yeah. I think that's it. Well, let's get uh, our, our guests into the conversation here. Carolyn uh, Johnson is a reporter with the Washington Post, WashingtonPost.com. Carolyn, thanks for joining us here. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, you know, it's interesting because, you know, as, as you point out in your recent piece here, that we just had a couple of studies come out, uh, published in The Lancet, a very prestigious journal, which seemed to confirm, I guess, this notion that, you know, breastfeeding is best. But w- what does the data really tell us? Yes. Well, this was a massive undertaking. It wasn't a new study, but it was kind of a review of all of the studies that have been done over the years to try and figure out what the true benefit is. And it put out some pretty big numbers um, about the benefits, saying that if people around the world, so in rich countries and in the developing world, um, were to breastfeed for the first six months, um, you could avoid 823,000 children's deaths, which is a huge number. Um, And then breastfed children would also get kind of a modest IQ bump that they calculated would account for 
$300 billion in global productivity, um, most of it in developed countries, so like the U.S. or Canada. So, um, so those were the kind of the top-line findings of it. And, you know, I think by now we're all, we are all used to hearing, you know, that it's, it's got all these multitude of health benefits. Um, but I kind of wanted to look at, you know, the evidence base that they were using. And what I find interesting is that in order to get to those numbers, which are very impressive, um, you know, they have to actually, like, throw out a lot of the existing studies, the ones that you might have heard about or seen in headlines, um, where, you know, breastfeeding is supposed to prevent asthma or prevent obesity, um, to raise IQ by a certain amount. Like, they had to kind of rein in because there's just a lot of studies out there that haven't been, haven't ruled out the other stuff that could also account for the effects that they're seeing. So, Carolyn, in, in all of this research, were we able to verify or validate the specific claims, like, one by one? Like, for example, does breastfeeding a child give it a modest bump in IQ, or or do we find that the, the research doesn't necessarily play that out? Well, they found, um, they found a 2.6 IQ point benefit um, to breastfeeding. I think that will still be controversial because if you look at the studies that underlie it, you'll find some that claim there's like a 7 IQ point um, benefit and then some that find basically zero if you are um, accounting for, you know, the mother's IQ. So I think like the basic fundamental issue here is it's like almost impossible or impossible to really separate out the act of breastfeeding from all the other stuff that goes along with it, like being the kind of person who's able to breastfeed, who wants to breastfeed, who has the economic means, like who is in a society that like is supporting that activity and like, um, or just being the kind, that kind of um, a parent, so maybe women who breastfeed also treat their infants differently in some su- other subtle ways that could account, you know, for an IQ p- point boost or, um, you know, or, you know, like diabetes risk later in life and that kind of stuff. What about the notion, though, that if there's even some benefit or a modest benefit, that it's it's almost like it's it's okay. Almost like the end justifies the means. If if these exaggerations persist, that that's okay because that'll encourage moms to to breastfeed, and there's at least probably some modest benefit to it. Yeah. Well, and there also are benefits. Probably some are intangible, like you know, mother infant bonding. I mean, there's all kinds of benefits. Um, you know, that like may not exactly be measured in this kind of a study. So, And like most people who are even skeptical of some of the data think there are good reasons to breastfeed. So I don't want to say, like it's, very, it's encouraged by basically every public health organization that right. I know of. So it's not, I'm not saying that people shouldn't, but it does um, to, it, but one of the most uncontested benefits is um, a reduction in, like, gastrointestinal infections, which is a huge deal in the developing world where maybe there's not clean water available. So, And their infant mortality is very high from that kind of um, cause. And so, you know, that that's kind of in the developed world where there is clean water, where um, that might not be an issue. It, it just, if the benefits are more modest, it, it just means that a lot of researchers want to find out what they really are um, so that they can weigh them against possible other 
like interventions that could be done to benefit children and mothers. So it's it's a really complicated and kind of a political um, yeah. at times <laughs> debate, but it's an important one to have. Um, and I think like the people who are on both sides of it, like have the same goal. Um, and, and it's just kind of hard to, it, it kind of illustrates just how hard it is to like separate out like su- such these kinds of benefits from such a complicated kind of, you know, all the things that go into like, growing up as a you know in this world we're in yeah. and like aside from just what you eat well hang on do they have the same goal i mean i'm assuming by that you mean healthy babies is that what you mean yeah yeah like greater well-being for, right. for people and that, for that, women well, mothers think, as well yeah that's what i think i think that some people w- want to see f- nursing a child as like a, a a moment of empowerment for somebody and i don't know if it, like have we kind of made it into that where you know, if we see other examples of mothers nursing babies in the animal kingdom, for example, it's just sort of occurs wherever, whenever, without much fanfare. But for us, here we are making a talk radio segment about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's kind of remarkable that it's so divisive and polarizing because, yeah, um, yeah. but, you know, for people who are sort of, Wondering whether one of the questions that does come up is like, where does women's time and women's potential like lost earnings in countries that don't have as much support for like maternity leave or um, for family leave policies, like where does their time and factor in? So if you're going to say there's um, you know a giant economic boost that could come from more women breastfeeding their babies, like what is how does that balance against maybe the lost income that a woman might experience if she can't work as many hours as she used to, or she maybe has to take a different kind of job, maybe can't um, stay on the same job track because she needs to just spend more time caring for her child, whether it's breastfeeding or or other, um, other kind of care. So, I mean, I think a lot of the sort of the interesting questions that arise from from it are well there there are these public health benefits and how do they compare to you know the sacrifices that have to be made um, and, and how do they um, help both the mother and the child afterwards so I you know it's a, it is a really complicated thing and I I will say in in the U S there is just a lot of resistance I think more than in a lot of other countries to the idea that everyone must breastfeed, I guess. Um, you know, it was really interesting that the authors of this study just said that they've never really encountered the kind of resistance in other countries that they, they get in the U.S. to kind of push back about whether these benefits are real or how big they are. Um, and they question why, you know, in this country there aren't nearly as much societal support or, you know, as there are in many others. So it's, it is a really good question, I think, about the biases on both sides that might exist. Well, is there any kind of financial bias that creeps in? I mean, obviously, you know, the, the, the companies that make and sell formula, that, that that's a profitable business. Is there any evidence anywhere, any suggestion that they might have some kind of influence on, on these studies? Oh, well, not on this study. Um, I mean, I'm sure I haven't 
there are dozens and dozens of them, so I haven't gone through to see if they have funded any. But it is something that the researchers who do this work bring up is there's this huge global industry of breast milk substitutes and formula and asking, you know, what what their influence is. They, there have been, you know, formula has been given out in hospitals for free and, you know, there's been all kinds of marketing to mothers. And so I don't know if there's a suggestion it's having an influence on the research, but certainly it's a big business and it plays into the whole debate, the societal debate about, you know, what options people should consider. So, so yeah, that is something that they address and kind of worry about in their, in their, um, article. All right. Carolyn, uh, it's an enlightening chat. We appreciate you joining us for it. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks so much uh, for having me. All right. Carolyn Johnson, a reporter for the Washington Post, talking about this study in Lancet about the overstated benefits, uh, or are the benefits of breastfeeding overstated? There's a lot of text messages coming in on this, Rob, 77770. We'll, uh, we'll take a pause right now and get to some of those afterwards. Your phone calls as well, if you'd like, 974-8255. It's Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. Well, welcome back. 77770, if you want to text us, uh, someone texted in to say, breastfeeding's uh, cheap and convenient. Uh, yeah, I, I guess it is. See, I just feel like part of this conversation makes the new mother feel like she has to have, has, has to first make a choice based on outside information and then be able to explain it. And I don't think that's fair. Well, and if, if a mother breastfeeds, and her reason is because it's cheaper. Is she a worse mother than the mother who breastfeeds because she believes it's best for the child? Right? I mean, should these motivations matter? If the kid's getting what the kid needs, even if a mother is feeding her, her baby formula uh, because she's worried about the appearance of her breasts, and if we can think of what seems like a vain or a shallow reason, if the kid's still getting what the kid needs, does it matter? And let's go to the phones. Uh, Kathy is called in. Hi, Kathy. Thanks for the call. Hi. Hi, gentlemen. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to say that in some ways it's an economics versus education because, uh, yes, we are told that it's okay not to breastfeed, but uh, people who are buying formula really can't afford to. Uh, it's pushed on you in the hospitals, and I'm a current breastfeeder, and when I go in to the public health nurse in the Northeast, which is an economically depressed area, they are astounded that I breastfeed because most of the people in my area do not, and yet they have the money to buy formula when when the cheaper option would be to breastfeed, but they don't because they have this formula pushed on them if and they don't understand what the medical benefits are to breastfeeding. And uh, and I don't understand why there's this pushback uh, of saying, oh, yeah, well, maybe it's not real. Or, or, you know, like if you have the ability to, you should. And, uh, and I don't know why medical personnel are uh, afraid to tell people that because everyone's so worried about choice and all this kind of stuff. If mothers were educated to let them know what these benefits were uh, instead of the formula companies jumping in, which they do as soon as you give birth, uh, I think that there might be different... Okay, well, uh, well hang on a sec, Kathy, because, yep. you know, as, as our guest just uh, explained to us, this, this study published in The Lancet suggests that a lot of these supposed benefits are, are overstated. For one, and I, I mean, I remember, you know, when, when my two kids were born, I don't remember the hospital pushing uh, formula. I remember it was there, but I also remember, you know, my wife being instructed on, on you know, and given assistance on, on how to breastfeed, and uh, that, that was certainly uh, a part of it, too. Yes, 
I just, uh, the formula is there, and they say, you want to breastfeed? The first few days of breastfeeding are very difficult. Right. And the second that you say, I'm not, I don't like this, or this is hard, or you cry, okay, here's the formula. And nobody says, yes, honey, this is hard, don't worry, you can do this, and this is the, this is the better option for your child. And I was listening, and as, you know, as your guest said, it is actually by all medical professionals across the board and all those studies did indicate that there is, you know, less obesity and whether there's a bump in, in intelligence or not, yeah, I get that can be, uh, is negligible. But like I said, it's, it's a thing of education versus economics. Um, you know, just these people, they, they aren't going to read the studies. They aren't going to sit there. And, and, and you know what? I don't either. Uh, I've got a master's degree. I have no desire to do any more research or anything like that but i listen to my i listen to my doctor and uh, i do as much research as necessary as a mother and uh, breastfeeding came out on top every single time even if it just is the gastrointestinal even if it just is that when she's at daycare right now she gets less colds than everybody else okay but but on top of what though because this this is the question that i want to put to you i mean it's not like we're getting these studies and they say breastfeeding uh the children who are breastfed have a an iq that is uh, uh, 2.6 points higher. Children that were on formula die of cancer at age two. Like it's not like one is poison and the other one is not. So if if breastfeeding is superior, what exactly is the uh, how bad is its alternative? And should parents be or should mothers rather nursing mothers, um, you know, be made to feel a certain way for making a decision either way? Yes, because if there is any chance that you can improve your child's life in any way why wouldn't you take that chance it's not and it because it's not like saying that breast milk is bad there's no evidence that breast milk is bad there right. you know what i mean like yep. even even if it's a, a a you know whatever percentile it is if i can give my child less chance of obesity and better brain function in life why would i not do that Okay, no, very compelling argument, Kathy. Thanks very much. Yeah, and that's a fair point. I mean, no one's suggesting here that that, that formula is better than breast milk. I think the point here is that, uh, you know, these studies are showing that maybe those those benefits have been overstated, uh, that the long-term benefits are potentially there, as as Carolyn writes, but more modest than it once seemed and really hard to tease out. So we got to take another quick break here. We're back with more right after this.